Well, welcome everybody to the Montrose Group's Development Debate Podcast. Uh, I'm carrying on without Nate. Uh, the great Nate, the great green, you know, are, are one of our fearless leaders over here because we're not, we're not talking about economic development today. We're breaking a mold. What we're talking about uh, is the election that we just all lived through. Now, I think it impacts economic development and, um, you know, absolutely has a, uh, you know, plays a big role in, you know, passing good public policy that, that can make economic development a lot easier to happen. But um, this is just gonna be more discussion about the election. So, uh, I, you know, I think it's exciting. Of course, I'm a political science major, so of course I do, but we have the great Tim Bigham with us, the director of government relations, that's a lobbyist, uh, for those of you that don't understand the title, for the Montrose Group. So Tim is, has been on the show before, so he's he's a veteran, and um, but Tim is kind of in the trenches on uh, on a lot of these issues. So Tim, welcome to the development debate again. Thank you, Dave. I think all of my previous episodes were probably the highest rated listener. Is my well, that's my guess. You know, we may have exceeded beyond just our loyal listener that's out there. Just beyond, there may have been we probably there, probably picked up two for sure. I I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. I don't. I don't know how we quantify it, but you know, those dozens and dozens of listeners that we have uh, probably bumped up at least two. Yeah, with my presence. Yep, I so, think that's right. Yeah. Simple. Simple. Well, thanks man. for having me. Well, we're excited. So we we just uh, survived an election. I I figured it out uh, Wednesday when I got to see. Didn't see any more political ads and and. Felt good to know that the pharmaceutical industry still had enough money to have an ad on about every four four minutes. Um, yeah, that's important. It's important. So good. Lots so of- good to know that that they they've got resources still. You know, really interesting election. We're going to talk about Ohio, where we're based, but we're also going to talk nationally. And I and I think, um, you know, I think we can we can start with Ohio. Uh, you know, I think we have blown away any myth at least at this point that ohio is a purple state yes right yes i think that's true yep i mean we are this state is red yeah redder than red it is uh it is now for a number of election cycles um voted uh solidly for for the gop and you know Honestly, outside of presidential elections, I would argue that Ohio was never a purple state. If you look at our mm-hmm. our history going back, going back the last thirty or forty years, it's been it's been consistently uh, consistently voting voting for GOP candidates, and and I think during that time we've only seen a handful of of, uh, of Democrats elected um, statewide, which is really the, the the bellwether of whether or not you know a state is going one way or the other yeah i mean really if you're you know if you're old like me um you know you, you, the democrats dominated statewide uh in, you know and in, in cases in the ohio house the senate kind of, state senate kind of went back and forth um you know almost all through uh the 70s and 80s and you know Vern rife was a legend 22 years Democratic uh, Speaker of the House. Um, 
but the politics of the rural communities have changed so much that Vern Reif couldn't get elected to his district now. And, right. uh, you know, when I started doing this work in the early 90s, you know, uh, the, the rural districts were about half Republican, half Democrat. And you, you see that all of Appalachia that was completely Democrat. That was really still that New Deal coalition that was together from Franklin Roosevelt that, um, you know, had them aligned. And you also had a large labor source, you know, labor union group that represented steel workers and iron workers and auto, auto assembly guys um, that, that really drove uh, a lot of that turnout. So you had the urban Northeast, Northern Ohio urban markets um, plus half the rural districts. And it, and it really gave, uh, gave the state, you know, a, a pretty competitive angle. Um, I think politically that, that changed with the election of George Voinovich uh, in 1990, uh, following two terms of Dick Celeste. And Voinovich, who had been the you know the the mayor of Cleveland, you know, and was highly regarded mayor of Cleveland, basically ushered in a you know the start of Republican uh, domination in the state. And uh, over time, the Republicans took took over all of the statewide office. And really, other than four years uh, where where Governor Taft had a had a tough last couple of years, uh, and it ushered in some Democrats. With some with some scandals tied to it, I mean the Republicans literally took everything back with the election of John Kasich, mm-hmm. um, you know, soon to follow. So it 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 is it's been a long term trend. I I would tie it um, to that um, to that decline of labor in the state. There, that, not that some areas aren't still labor friendly. But well, I was going to say, Dave, this is a this is an economic development podcast, so you know it's uh it's partly because of shifts in labor and shifts in policy and population uh, in in a lot of these these counties around Ohio. I think that is that's one of the one of the challenges that that Democrats have faced in Ohio and and our rural counties, particularly, have gotten much redder in the last decade and a half. Um, and, you know, partly that's due to population shift and partly that's due yep. to economic policies that I think those regions have not really felt like from a values and a, and a, and a, and a policy position that, that, the, that the party has been with them. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, the reality is it's tough to keep, it's tough to, it's tough for, for Democrats to have public policy that makes the Upper East Side of New York or San Francisco happy and rural America, because um, those two places might as well be in different countries, you know, yep. from a from a social and economic standpoint. Um, and you know, we have just seen the the bleeding off of uh, of the Democratic voters that that the in particular the you know the those the white male voter in those rural areas are just you know completely shifted to. Uh, to the Republican Party, and that's true everywhere. Um, the 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 good and the bad, and the, I think the long term challenge for the Republicans, and you you point this out on a regular basis, is those same rural communities that they're dominating. That now, you know, they're getting, you know, seventy eighty percent of the vote, and are depopulating. So they're not necessarily gaining votes in the faster growing areas. You know, so yeah. I think that's been 
that's a big issue. Yeah, but you know, Republicans made history in Ohio on election day this year. The historic majorities in the in the Ohio House going back to going back to the 1960s when the the 99 member chamber was established. They they now have 67, possibly 68 seats. Um, either way, that that would be historic majorities and. And the Ohio Senate is a is a GOP dominated 20, 26 to seven out of their thirty, out of their thirty two or thirty three seats uh, in the in the Ohio Senate. So they they are establishing themselves as 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 super majorities, uh, as super you can get in in the state, and and on the back of of I think a a really strong candidate and Governor Mike DeWine who who won the state with close to. Um, 63% of the vote or a little over 63% of the vote won all but three counties in the state uh, defeating his his, his uh, Democrat challenger, the former yeah. mayor of Dayton. So it's definitely an historic day and uh, for the state. And, and, you know, I think that's really about the type of candidates that they're running and, and, the, and the, the, the message that they're putting forward uh, really resonated yeah. in Ohio. And and again, it is um, it's a tough time to be a public official right now. You, you've got the left and the right both angry over different things, but very angry. Tough to manage that. Um, you've got you know Donald Trump kind of stirring the pot with his with his base of supporters. But I mean, you mentioned Governor Dewine. I mean, he he is a, a institution in the state. Um, been in public office 40 plus years uh, at every level of government from county prosecutor to the state Senate to the U.S. House, um, was lieutenant governor for, for George Voinovich, got elected to the U.S. Senate for a couple of terms, ended up losing, um, quite frankly, bounced right back and ran for and was elected attorney general, did that for eight years, and then, uh, you know, quite frankly, had a, a very successful Term, first term as governor, and and I, I, you know, I'd give him a lot of credit for navigating, you know, navigating COVID. I think for a lot of governors and and mayors, um, it was tough because they almost, you know, whatever their agenda was became became COVID for a couple of years. But um, I mean, you know, Governor Dewine ran an incredible campaign. His results uh, proved that. Uh, you know, he crushed his opponent. He, uh, you know, his victory was. I want to say the third highest. Yeah, total. third highest in the state's history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, again, in the in the current environment, is is very impressive. Um, you know, and 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 it, he also led uh, a statewide sweep of offices where right. all of the statewide elected officials in Ohio were all incumbent Republicans, all running. Um, you know, all getting you know, 58, 59, 60% of the vote. So there really was not even a close race. And quite frankly, um, they couldn't even get really credible candidates on the Democratic side to run against the other statewide elected officials. I think Mayor, Mayor Nan Whaley was a very credible candidate. She couldn't raise any money, but, um, you know, the other statewides benefited from the start because they really couldn't find High profile folks to run against them. And yeah, the strength, and it, the strength, yeah, the strength of the ticket. And definitely, uh, definitely, I think looking at all the way down the line from 
governor to secretary of state, you know, into the Supreme Court races was really, really a, an attribute for um, for the party this this cycle and, and for those who, who won. And, you know, you see that helping J.D. Vance, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about candidates and, and the strength of candidates. J.D. Vance uh, also made history in Ohio, being the first first person to run and win for the U.S. Senate on their first try. Um, since we began directly electing U.S. senators in this country. And there's an old axiom in Ohio that you had to run and lose once statewide to win. Um, and, and J.D. sort of blew that up. And, you know, I give them credit and, and his team and, and Jay Shabria and the team that, that helped, uh, help, you know, craft his strategy. They've done a, they've done a great job and, and sent another good person to the U.S. Senate for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, Vance had a tough race. I, I think um, by far the best Democratic candidate on the statewide basis was Congressman Tim Ryan. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what ten-term congressman from the from from the Youngstown area? Um, you know, he ran a phenomenal campaign. He ran the best campaign he could. He he benefited from not having a serious primary opponent, but he was smart. Literally the day after the primary. He pounded away on this uh, message to try and get the the working class, uh, you know, voters back. Um, but quite frankly, you know, he he ran into the the political ra- reality that we that we talked about. That once you get the message out um, of where the Democrats stand and where the Republicans stand, um, the Mahoning Valley, which used to be the most <laughs> the most democratic place in the world. Uh, is now completely flipped and is, uh, you know, almost on par in equal numbers Republican. Right. So even their hometown guys struggled. Um, I, I also think they struggled a little bit, and and I would give I would give the governor credit for this. The urban centers did not have as big a turnout as they've had in the past, and I think in a lot of cases, you know, winning elections sometimes is about turning out your base. A lot of times elections are about um, the other side not doing that. The other side, uh, you know, and in this case, it was, I think, the Democrats in these urban centers that are very Democratic at this point. I, I don't think their voters were motivated to get, get out and go vote against Mike DeWine. They, they, they may, they, maybe they weren't going to vote for him, but they just didn't, you know, Mike DeWine wasn't doing anything to alienate them and um, to agitate them, to, to basically motivate that Democratic base to, to go show up. And, um, you know, again, I just think that was a benefit that it, and, and proof, and I think you said it, that, you know, that quality candidates matter. And even in a race where Ryan, you know, uh, he got outspent substantially at the end because the Senate Republicans put more money in than the Senate Democrats did. But I'm not sure that was going to matter. That may have been a point or two. But yeah. I just think the Republican wave in Ohio was too big to yeah. um, for Ryan to beat it. And and again, I think it I think it's pretty telling, you know, for future Senate and future governor races that if the Republicans pick a good candidate, uh, and, and we've seen this nationally, right? The these this national red wave, there's a lot of discussion about some of these Senate races and governor's races in other states that didn't happen. It's not complicated. Those those places didn't pick good candidates. They didn't pick people right. that were experienced that that could communicate, that could stay on message. Um, 
So you look at states that should be Republican wins in Georgia and Arizona, places that are uh, might be competitive, but still, if you pick a good candidate, as in Governor Kemp in Georgia, you win. Right. You pick a candidate that's yeah. not that great. You've got a runoff. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, and that's and same that's state. a big reality. Yeah. Same state. No, I I think that's uh, you know that's a really great point. That's uh, I think it's something that people get lost about, and 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 the party gravitates towards the most bombastic candidate or, or the one who yells the loudest, but, but really in the end, you got to find somebody who can win and, you know, shares the, the values of their state or their community. And, and, you know, we've seen, we've seen up and down the ticket and, you know, around the country that what happened in Ohio didn't happen elsewhere. And, and I think that's really a strength and a credit to, um, to the people here who are responsive to what they hear and see on the ground. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, we haven't talked, Dave. Ohio also, for the first time, elected, uh, you know, certain levels of judges with party yeah. affiliation next to the ballot. And I think that is really interesting because those, particularly the Ohio Supreme Court seats, which had always been a bit of a conundrum and a toss up, um, sometimes people with just the best name winning, um, even even if they didn't spend any money. Um, you know, and, and really didn't campaign very hard. Uh, those individuals, so all the all of the Republican candidates all tracked the same percentages pretty closely to the statewide yeah. electeds. Um, and yeah, we saw, they, saw that around the state. They were all really good candidates. They were all sitting respected Supreme Court judges, justices, I should say. Um, they all had a common message, which was basically anti-crime. They had resources. The Democrats had resources. I think the pro- Republicans probably had more. But you're right, Tim. Their 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 victory margins almost um, track really close to the other state. Well, other than the governor, track really close to you know the AG's race and the Secretary of State yeah. and the other statewide elected officials. So it is, and that quite frankly, I think was the plan of of the General Assembly in line with the business community. They wanted to get. Um, justices and judges elected that were aligned with, um, you know, with what they saw, with what the, the, the political, uh, you know, alignment with the, with the state or with the district. It was, and it, and it carried through to the Court of Appeals races that in the three urban counties, major urban counties in Ohio, which, which obviously are Cincinnati, Columbus, and, and Cleveland, no Republican won. Right. These are these have yeah. just grown into kind of democratic juggernauts. Yeah. In in the other districts, you know, that even if they had an urban area like Toledo or an urban area like Canton, but if they had suburban or rural communities tied to them, no Democrats won. Yeah. So and, and in some cases you had um, incumbent, you know, in, an incumbent judge in, in the case in a Canton Court of Appeals race who lost handily as soon as they put party affiliation, um, you know, on the, um, uh, you know, on the ballot and it, it, uh, it worked. And I think there was a lot of questions about it. Uh, justice Kennedy in particular, who's going to be the chief justice in Ohio. Um, a lot of folks were worried that because her name's Kennedy, she got a lot of democratic votes. Um, but it just, it just 
you know, illustrated that, again, getting back to the red nature of the state, that if you're identified as Republican, you're a qualified candidate, and your, your message is aligned with those voters you're trying to get, you're going to win. You're just going to win. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely... Uh, definitely opens up a new era in, in the state, um, you know, relative to how how judicial campaigns are running and run and and party affiliation now moving forward is going to be a big part of a big part of driving that turnout. And, and you know, it'd be interesting to see if if the numbers from this past Tuesday um, sort of tend to track the same way as we move forward, if they if they track uh, along with, uh, you know, the the general turnout, you know, for for whatever party they're running, running for. So definitely an interesting dynamic to watch and, and, uh, and a good case study to, to look out for. No doubt, no doubt. So it's been, um, you know, again, I think it's, it's been a long-term trend. I think, I think Ohio, I was like similar States, but you know, you know, that our Ohio's neighbor to the North had a complete opposite experience, you know, a, 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 a not, very good quality Republican candidate for governor lost by 10 points uh, to the incumbent Democratic governor, you know, who had a lot of people unhappy over COVID. Uh, and I think both the Michigan House and Senate flipped to Democrats. Yeah, so, and they also, you know, they also obviously the the um, the striking down of Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision this, this summer had some impact in, in states like Michigan, where they they had a ballot referendum, you know, to 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 memorialize or codify you know, abortion rights in their constitution. That drove um, mm -hmm. their state, you know, that their state's ballot process is different than Ohio, but we would expect to see something like that moving forward in Ohio as well. And we've got redistricting battles and and other other issues that still need to be sort of ironed out of. As we move forward, we we're operating under what is right, right now two year maps in the state, and so that's something that the the majorities in the House and Senate, along with the governor and and the um, the redistricting commission, are going to you know have to take up uh, likely in the in the new year, um, you know, or sometime sometime ahead of the the next election filing, and you know, and I think the the election results really uh, cement. I think the GOP's philosophy of of continuing to move forward with uh, making the state a pro business a pro business climate state, you know, regulatory reform and and to some degree tax reform and mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think we'll see a lot more of that as we head forward, um, you know, and and obviously the governor's got four more years and we'll introduce a new budget and and has shown that he wants to invest in long term long-term things that are not necessarily sort of seen in the short term, but, but have, have significant impact for the state in the, and the, the out years, even beyond his, his governorship. So we'll expect to see a lot more of that. That's really the, that's really the meat and potatoes of, of what happened on Tuesday is, is, you know, continuation of, of strong leadership. I, uh, I agree. I, I think that, I think that, you know, it comes back to the old adage if you know they just do their job they're going to be fine and and in this case the public officials and the business community came together and they did their job they got they got high quality candidates uh they got the resources they stayed on message um and they were successful 
And if you don't do those three things, uh, bad stuff, you know, bad stuff happens. And quite frankly, it all trickles down to economic development. You talked about it. It's, it's, you can't get, can't get uh, pro-business tax provisions. I mean, you, you just, you just struggle, uh, you know, to, to be successful. So, well, Tim, I, I think that was a very interesting and successful podcast. I think it's the I don't, best ever. I honestly, I Dave, I, I don't know how you top it after this. To be honest with you, you guys probably should retire. We might. I mean, well, we'll consider it. We'll consider it. I mean, it's it's um, it's always a possibility. But you know, I, I may have to let Nate vote on that at some point. But you know, he'll probably yeah. vote to retire because he says, "Good, I don't want to do that anymore." But what yeah, about our yeah. loyal listener, Tim? Yeah, how can we, we do that want, to him. Yeah, we don't want to leave him. What leave will him he do on those long on those long walks when he listens to our podcast? That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's it's probably the only thing that's really powering him through. Well, I think, I think for that we'll just have to continue on. Yeah, and we'll we'll continue right. to talk about really interesting things. It's all about the loyal listener. All about the loyal listener. All right. Well, that is all right. uh, Thanks, that's Dave. the Development Debate Podcast, and I uh, hope you have a great day, and look forward to you listening again. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Dave. Bye bye. To learn more about the Montrose Group services, please visit MontroseGroupLLC.com.